Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Crypts of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful mystery, and today my crew has left me. So I have a special guest to join us. We're going to have Shane from Inquiries of Our Reality and Bizarre Encounters, right? I didn't mess it up? Yes, sir. Okay. Nope, you got it right. I mess up stuff all the time. So Shane got a hold of me a couple weeks ago, and we've been we've hung out since then at Bigfoot and Brews. Uh his daughter did lovely artwork. Uh, if you guys are on the Facebook page, you've seen me post it on the wall where she drew Harry for us, and we had so much fun together. So thank you for coming on. And thank you for having me on, man. It's an honor, especially because you know I've been listening to the show regularly, and I wanted to be able to hop in, get my input in. So I was really looking forward to hopping on today with you, man. Oh, yeah. we and I don't. So when this episode comes out, I'm assuming the episode we did will already be out. I think it's see the first episode comes out the 22nd, 29th. So it'll be, I think the first week of October, if I'm not mistaken. So I think we'll be, be pretty close episode. to the same thing. So yeah, go check me out on bizarre encounters. And you know, if you're listening to this, it's a lot of fun. I'll put links in the description below for everything. As uh, long as I remember, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know in the back end of this episode, it's going to be a lot of free talk. So on the front end, I'd like you just share so I was on your show, you shared an amazing encounter. And I thought it was it's of the type it is, it's the only one I've ever heard in person. Uh, which is really cool to me. Because it's a, a thing that I believe is fully real that really freaks me out. Uh it's a really big topic on our page. Um so both of the things, because you see you you have one that leads into the other, correct? Yeah, because it's like well, there's two two specific beings, and then there was, like, the miscommunication between the main experience of the internet kind of taking on a life of its own on what this thing mm-hmm. could possibly be, and then the literal term of what it could be. So I guess, like, I'll share the story, and then we can always kind of divide up and differentiate so people kind of understand the difference between a rake and this this thing we're about to get into. It sounds good to me. I've, I've been waiting for this all week. I'm so excited. I'm excited to share the story now that I know that I have an experience with something that's not commonly something that people experience and coming from somebody that I didn't even think I really had a cryptid, so to speak, experience. I even kind of took it as more of like a paranormal experience. Like it's very exciting for me now having more understanding behind this experience. I think it's very uncommon for somebody to have that encounter and be able to share it. 
Well, I mean, kind of going into my family ties and stuff too. Yeah. We're trying to, we got to amp it up a little bit. Yeah, I know. I love teasers, but <laughs> yeah, family ties though. You never know what they could save you from. So exactly. Pay attention to your heritage. That's what I always tell everybody, you know? All right. You ready to get into it? Yes, sir. So let's see, starting from the beginning, I got to lay down the groundwork. Mm-hmm. So we used to go to this place called Northville Psychiatric Hospital. It was an abandoned psychiatric hospital. Um, there was multiple buildings. There was like the big main hospital building. There were some dorm buildings. There was like a gym. Um, and then underneath, there was the tunnels, as they would say. Um, that's That went underneath Northville. It went to, there was just miles of tunnels that connect underneath. Um, so we used to always go to Northville regularly. It was like an every other weekend thing. We'd go there, we'd kind of map everything out. We got to the point where we like knew this place, like the back of our hand, we could get in and out of anywhere. There's a police station directly next door. So we saw people getting like arrested all the time for trespassing. And we kind of knew like where to go, where not to go because we'd been here so much. So that being said, we, um, we kind of got, I don't want to say bored because we very much so enjoyed this place, but we just wanted to be able to just explore some new stuff. So there's one particular day where like, Hey, we have the balls, we have, the flashlights, we got some batteries, like, let's make at least a little bit of an attempt at trying to go into the tunnels. Because our biggest fear originally was, you know, if there's miles of tunnels, they're underground, you run out of battery, like, you're pretty much feeling your way back through pitch black. And, you know, we didn't want to take that chance originally, because by the time we got to the basement, it was like we'd already been around this place for a couple hours, got a couple hours worth of, you know, battery life drained from our flashlight. So we're kind of going into this one fresh. So... We go down into the basement. I'm first. It's my girlfriend and also one of her friends at the time. Um, so, you know, of course, like, the guy's the one who has to pop in everything first, make sure everything's okay. Um, so we get into the basement, and there's a big knocked-out area in the wall. I don't even want to say it was, like, a room. It was, like, there should have been a solid wall right there, but there was, like, a – like, it looked almost like a construction crew cut it out um, for whatever reason. Um, but then there was like a door farther on to get into this area, but the wall was blown out. So I just went to go and come around the corner, kind of peek into there, see what was in there. So I walk in and as I walk in on the side of me, I hear a voice say, run in a whisper. And as I hear that, there's this, it's like a, like a, like a hospital buggy cart, however you want to explain it. Um, like you'd see it like a hospital, like the little metal buggy cart things. I'm looking at that, and as I'm staring at that, I see this thing stand up. And the best way to describe it was almost like it had never seen sun. It was like that decaying flesh color, like the white, bluish kind of like Mm -hmm. human flesh color. And then long, scraggly hair on the top of its head, like black hair, um, not fully covering its body, of course, because it was hairless with just long hair on the top of its head. And I see this thing standing up. It's tall. It's lanky. And as I see that, I didn't take another chance. I just booked it for the door because I already had something tell me to run in my ear. And coming from Northville, it's just there's a lot of activity this place, of course, anyways, because it was a psychiatric hospital. So, like I said, I originally was assuming that this was like a paranormal experience. So we take off upstairs. Um, My girlfriend's taking pictures and stuff kind of behind her because she didn't really see what happened. I didn't really explain it because I was just trying to get the hell out of there because I didn't know what the hell it was. Sorry for saying hell. That's okay. <laughs> um, so we we leave. She's taking the pictures. We look at them when we get home, and it almost looks like an apparition where it's kind of like ghostly going through it. It's not like a solid figure, but she definitely caught something that looked like what I saw. 
So originally, when I first started looking into this, um, I thought it was a Wendigo. And I had a lot of people correct me and tell me that it was a rake. And it just didn't really, like, fully fall in there. But it was kind of what everybody was telling me, so I kind of just rolled with it. Um, so then we get into it on my show, and we start talking about it. You start making connections to things. Um, we start realizing that more than likely this thing was a was a Wendigo because, one, it was in a basement area, which was very cold, so it fits the characteristics of it being in a cold place because it is more of like a decaying corpse right. more than anything. And it was the middle of summer, so of course like it was trying to stay somewhere where it would be really cold, and who knows how far out those tunnels go, how deep they go. It could get way colder down there. So we, um, yeah, so, so I saw this, this thing and it told me to run. Um, we started making connections with it. Um, I don't know if it was that same day, but it was within a week before or after I saw this particular thing. I saw a cougar outside when I was on the third story of the building, looking down the window. And if anybody wants to look this up, um, look up Northville cougar sightings. Nobody was ever able to fully confirm it, but there was multiple people claiming that they saw this cougar in this area. So going off of the Wendigo slash Skinwalker concept, if you want to start getting into that part of it, um, you know, it could theoretically change and shift into something else. And especially a cougar, which is an animal that's not intended to be in this area, was also super weird. Now, the other piece of the story that I wanted to connect here is the fact that, um, one, this particular area had a lot of Native American um, artifacts found when they were originally building this hospital. So this was already an area that it was a known Native American area. And I, myself, my grandma was 100% Cherokee. My dad was 50%. I'm 25%. So I also do have that connection to Native American heritage. So if you want to get into it a little bit more... Um, you know, we're, we're getting into, like, the idea of, like, the Wendigo being more of, like, a tortured soul where they don't really have control over themselves or what they're doing, but there's little slips where they might be able to actually have a little bit of humanity and warn people. So, like you were saying on my yeah. show, um, maybe because I had that Native American connection, maybe this thing was trying to warn me, and that was why I had the opportunity to get away and actually tell the story, but... So I guess that's that's kind of the first story if you want to kind of tear it up and get into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So yeah, that's like what you said the, the moment of humanity. So I know on our on our Wendigo episode, if I could talk, that's what we really believe that the Wendigo is the same demon inhabiting this a human as the Skinwalker. But Skinwalkers do rituals to gain power over that entity, where Wendigos have it kind of forced upon them. Through they still do horrible acts, but it's more forced upon them. You know, it's still a taboo thing, but it's out of necessity, not will, not want. But oh gosh, I lost where I was going. <laughs> I hate when that happens. We're talking about how Wendigo are more so. Oh, the moment of humanity. Like, they don't have control. Yeah, and then the skin moment. markers are people who have tried so, to control it. So one of the only stories we really have of. A full skin or a full Wendigo attack that the person survived was, I believe it was either her daughter. Or so the guy was became the Wendigo, and it was either his daughter or his granddaughter was the one it, it was chasing. And she said his name, and it snapped him back for a second, and he stopped and he looked down, and he could only stop for a second. But that's the only reason she got away, because it was that connection, that you know, that relation 
where the the guy that's trapped in there gets a moment to gra- grab the controls and gets that moment to give you the chance to get away. And like you were saying with your heritage, it may have been the guy inside the Wendigo saying, run, that's all I can do. I can't stop this thing, but I can give you that warning. I can give you that message to, hey, get out of here. You know, it's terrifying to me. The Wendigo is one of the scariest ones to me just because it's just, it's pure animalistic, demonic behavior. It's just destructive. So the Wendigo is always starving because it grows as much as it eats. So it never gains anything. Well, it never gains fullness. So it's just driven by that primal instinct to feed. And it's just truly terrifying. And I think you're one of the few people that have actually had that close of an experience with one and have both your arms attached to your body. Funny part, kind of adding into this, well, not really funny, but towards the end of like when I was going to Northville, they ended up actually tearing the building down and completely restricting it where nobody could go there. And they were actually keeping up and watching it because there was random things with like somebody falling down the elevator shaft, uh, just people getting like dying there. So, you know, maybe it's one of those things where maybe they knew what was going on here and that's why they were watching it. And that's why they were so on top of tearing this building down or two, it was just, you know, pure coincidence, but I'm one of those people that it's like, I saw this thing in the basement and where do all these elevator shafts lead to where these people supposedly fell down, they go into this basement area. So just like, I don't, I don't, I feel like it's, it's not a coincidence, you know, there, like there's something going on and there's a there's reason a lot why there for it this to be building a was abandoned for, yeah, there, there's a reason why this building was abandoned for so long. This stuff started happening, and then all of a sudden they got right on top of tearing it down. It's definitely, to me, it screams up. And like we said, so Wendigo Legend, in the summer, the native, uh, depending on which uh, Native American tribe or culture, believed that the Wendigo would bury themselves during the summer months. They're still there. They just bury themselves probably down to the permafrost layer. Because uh, we have the working understanding that they are current, they are actively rotting. So, you know, if you're an actively rotting body like a zombie, you know, keeping cold during the hot so you don't actively rot away is very important. And like you said, with them living in these tunnel systems, these catacombs, that may have been why it was still being active in its off time, when it's supposed to not be active. You know, they uh, we talk about the Algonquins a lot with the Wendigo. Uh, the Algonquins believe that you're not safe from the Wendigo once the first snow falls and you're not safe until the last snow melts. And then after that, it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to be done. The winter goes goes away for the season. But there's no hard date. It's just when it snows, the first day it snows, it's windigo time. And it's them waking up like locust. And I can't remember. There was stories where, like, there was whole, like, valleys that the Algonquins in Canada would hunt. And the first time they seen a snowflake, they'd all pull out of there because it was full of windigos. The dog scratching at the door. Do you think there's me. a possibility that they may like, okay, so this one was hiding in the tunnel systems underneath Northville, which who knows how deep they go, how cold it could possibly get in there. Cause just going into the basement, it was at least like a 20 degree difference. Mm-hmm. I swear. So is it unheard of for Wendigo to possibly hide in caves or tunnel systems anyways, during hotter months? Because I don't, is there? I don't know if there's been any stories of people venturing into cave systems and seeing Wendigos, but like I mean, it's just a possibility that maybe 
it's not just that they bury themselves, but maybe they also will hide themselves into colder tunnel systems during the hotter months. I believe northern Canada does have Wendigos that, like, they have Wendigo caves where there's colonies of them or there's groups of them. And I can definitely, I mean, if you want to put it as, if it's actively rotting, you know, it, I really don't think it matters. I think that's more of a uh, an analogy to say that, hey, when it's summertime, they have to be cold. So they go somewhere where it's cold. So I can fully get behind the cave thing, and I definitely think that's why it was down there, was to keep cool. Uh, the world has changed dramatically. It may be hard for you as a living corpse to hide somewhere in Michigan without being dug up. So you go hide in a, a cave system, a man-made cave system, a tunnel system, because it's just as good, and you can't have a guy worry about anybody digging you up. Uh, there's And not to mention these tunnel systems for Northville were abandoned and blocked off, so it's not like it would have any worries of anybody going down there for any utility reasons, anything like that. Like, they were shut down and closed off, like, years before Northville was even shut down. So it's completely abandoned system with nobody popping into it for years. Like, it's a perfect place. How tall was yours? It was standing up as I was seeing it. So just from me guessing, I would assume that it was at least around six foot. Okay. So a large Tall man. And lanky. Yeah. Yes. And the voice that I heard sounded like like it was it was a man's voice, but it sounded like a like a distressed man's voice. That's another reason I assumed that it was mm. some type of paranormal tie was because it sounded like like almost like a ghostly like man's voice. Oh, this one Which bug- also fit the tortured soul concept of, you know, what's going on with the Wendigo. This one bugs me so much. Not it's because I fully believe it. It's just this is one of the scarier ones to me. You know what I mean? This is one of the the ones I really think a lot of people, ha- a lot more people have encounters with them than are realized because they don't have, I don't think they have a very low non-success rate with kills. Uh, I think if a Wendigo is after you, it's very rare for you not to end up in the Wendigo. I mean, like I said, I, the only reason that I probably was able to get away was because I had that connection. It was kind of like temporarily staggered. But realistically, I was in an abandoned hospital with half the doors closed. So if this thing wanted to get me, like there's no doubt in my mind it would have been able to get me before I could find an open door. Because now, I knew where the open door was, but it was like the opposite side of the building than where we were on. That's because a horror it was on game. A staircase, there was a stair. There was a door at the top of the staircase to go into like the courtyard parking lot. But that was one of those doors that was welded shut, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like there would have been a direct escape, but the only escape out of there was you had to go up the stairs onto the first floor and then to the back of the hospital through the morgue, which was where somebody broke one of the doors open, and that's how we get in and out from. Yeah, that sounds like so, a, yeah, horrible horror, a horror horror game. game. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> one that gives – it's given me anxiety and just because it's just like the maze. I know I'd get – I would not make it out. I'm not fast. I'm all, I'm mostly spare parts. I would try to run up that stairs and my knee would blow out and that's where I'd be. Dude, not to mention too, if I didn't already know the map out of Northville, like it would have been a literal maze. I would have been trying to find a way out. Like I was lucky that I knew a direct way out. Otherwise, like who knows how that experience could have turned out, you know? And I, I kind of, I wish I would have looked into this a little bit before this episode. I wonder in the winter there, if they have more unusual disappearances or murders uh, and away from the facility. Yeah, like in the local community. See, but it would kind of get mixed in with things, though, unfortunately, just because of, like, the area that it's in, because it's not too far from Detroit, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, like, random 
murders, bodies, things near Detroit. So, like, even if this thing was theoretically doing this and leaving scraps, it could easily be covered up just by the fact that it's it's literally touching Detroit. Yeah, I can get that. So, and even the tunnel systems, you could hide bodies down there. Nobody's going down there, even if he had scraps and pieces of parts down there. Nobody would ever even know they existed. Yeah. Oh gosh, it just bothers me so much. So, a quick side. It's burned into my head forever, like literally forever. Like I have this image of this thing standing up. It would be. I have a quick sidebar, because uh, this is kind of a fun one we do with the Wendigo. Is it Wendigo or Wendigo? What's correct? I know the answer, not, just so you know. It's Wendigo, right? That's that's the correct one. Depends it's on just the tribe. I, I, I figured it was a matter of just like making things English, because we'll yeah. take words and we'll make an English version of them. Yeah. So I assume that Wendigo was the English version of so, Wendigo, like same word, just pronounced differently because of the speaker. Out of the three major tribes that have Wendigo legends, they're spelled three different ways. Two of them are pronounced Wendigo, and one is pronounced Wendigo. But the Algonquins are the the big tribe. We talked about it on your on your show. The Algonquins pretty much controlled or took over every small tribe in their territory. Uh, whether it was peaceful or not, you know, they pretty much ran the show in the north. And so the Wendigo legend, that's why every, these little tiny tribes had all the same legend is because, well, the Algonquins were like their overseeing managers. And, you know, their legends what, is what ruled. So their version of it all spread. But I, there was one little tribe, and I'm trying to think where it was, that has it, the Americanized version is how they spell it, the Wendigo, like the Winnebago. I mean, going off what you said, too, it may not even be that they necessarily got the culture and ideas from them. It may bring some validity to it that all these different tribes had different names for the same thing, even if they were variations of the same name, because it could have just been that they all had experienced it all on their own. And then when they all kind of came together, they kind of just started like meshing one word together for it. You know, I definitely I guess I may misspoke. Yeah, I do believe they all had their own individualized versions or the thing they are connecting with. That is the Wendigo. But why we see in the north with the Algonquins kind of homogenized the story. So everybody normally would have their own little twist or their own little thing. Like if you ever look into what causes a Wendigo. It's cannibalism is the big one because that's the Algonquin one, but several tribes said it was incest. Several tribes said it was master or uh, matricide, and the only reason the cannibalism one sticks out is because the Algonquins painted all the other tribes' legends for them. So it's just kind of this thing where these unique tribes still are experiencing the same thing, but you know they have their own reasoning of why it's happening. Uh, we just did one with the True. Stonish Giant. But I'm not a Native American expert. I don't ever claim to be. That's just what I've read. Well, I mean, going into this too, just random idea off the top of my head. Um, is it possible that, one, it was a story that was created to make people avoid eating other people during the winter months, and it became something because so many people had this idea in their head of it becoming a creature so they manifested it into existence off of stories or was it something that was around and the stories were created from it yes i think it's both i think it's a little mix of both where 
the thing I think it just existed, whether it is a person or not, is a whole nother thing. Uh, I think it is a person that is tortured or you know halfway possessed by a wild spirit. Uh, but it, do you have to commit cannibalism to get that? No, I do. I just think it's when you're pushed to the end of desperation and you get it. I think any of the all the tribes I think are probably correct with what causes a wendigo. It's always horrible acts, the taboo acts, where you know we cannibalism is the one that everybody talks about. But there's we read like a list of a dozen on the Wendigo episode of how to become a Wendigo. And sorry, I heard the dog move in the other room again. He's being very active. <laughs> uh, it's just crazy. The Wendigo is a hard one to pin down because a lot of tribes, it's they don't talk about it. So it's I mean, one, it's mixed in with so many different legends too because it's like Skinwalker, Wendigo, and Rakes all kind of fall mm-hmm. into the same category where, like you were saying, there's the differenti- there's the difference between Wendigo and Skinwalkers, but then this rake thing, like you were kind of getting into in my episode, is more of like an internet phenomenon, but then that still takes over the original category of the Wendigo, because people imagine a Wendigo as, like, something that's almost deer-like with horns. Yeah, and that's, that's the internet. the interpretation of it. Yeah, that's that's what people look up when they find Wendigo, and then when they find a rake, and they look up a rake, then they find images of like what a Wendigo would be. So it's just thanks to the internet, it's just more things getting split off and more misdirection and misinformation where nobody really knows how to like place exactly what it is because people are just making up stories off of something that already exists, you know, and I, like changing the image of it too. I'm which partially could be completely to, purposeful. Who knows? I'm partially to blame. Our Wendigo cover has the deer head <laughs> because it's just what everybody wants. But yeah, that's the thing, though, is that you put an image of an actual Wendigo, and people want either assume it's a skinwalker or a rake. Yeah, it, and like you were saying, so everybody at home, I believe it was 2005, the word rake to associate with what we are talking about here in North America did not exist. It was not. It was a European ghoul, and it didn't really look like what the creature they were pinning the word rake to here. And like we were saying, it's it was probably Wendigos. Like true Wendigos is what they were pinning the word rake to, or these human-like, gaunt, pale blue skin, demonic-like beings, and the word rake, rakes don't exist here in North America. I don't have a true rake. I, I think they're also a corpse eater, and I think that's a big thing with European legend. I'm not really sure what the European part of it. I think they are corpse eaters though. Mm-hmm. But it's just packaging. It, it's just the internet packaging a thing that already existed and putting a new name on it. So I'm not saying that rakes, I'm not saying the thing doesn't exist. I'm saying the name is wrong. Everybody at home. It's, yes. it's just a window. It's just whatever that thing is. And what in 2005, some guy put pictures of maybe a real one. Don't know, but he called it a rake. So the internet took it as gospel that anything that looks like this yep. is a rake. Wendigos have the deer heads. The things that have the human heads are Wendigo or the are rakes. Wendigos look like just dying versions of us or rotting versions of us, with a little bit exaggerated features sometimes, like their arms are too long, stuff like that. Hey, just to throw a weird wrench into this conversation, we we're talking about the Dover Demon before we started the episode. But going into another possible idea of the Dover Demon, what if the Dover Demon was a child 
becoming a Wendigo. Ooh. And that's why it was so weak. It came from a cavern and it didn't know what to do, what was going on. It was just running off of like, I need to go to this cave. Like you were saying, it was hiding really bad behind a tree, which sounds like something a child would do. So what if this was like the Dover Demon is theoretically a child becoming a Wendigo? Oh, I don't like it. Not because it doesn't make sense. I just don't want the image. Ooh, what did that? I mean, what did that baby have to do to become a Wendigo? Hey, it could have been just literally starving and did what it had to do. You know, like who what knows? did the baby like, do? It, kid, it could be, it, it could be. You know, maybe like a six, seven year old kid that at least has the concept in their head that if they were in this cave, for example, because it came out of a cave. What if it was with its father, for example? And its father, they're in the cave. The father got pinned. Something happened to the father. The kid didn't know what to do. Lost in a cave system. Started eating like what it. was available. And then tried to get out. And that's when this whole Dover Demon experience happened. The Dover Demon is a baby Wendigo, and I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it. Oh, that creeps me out. I don't... I can just see the big eyes. and It definitely had a weird head. Uh, that's a weird thing. And it definitely could be. Uh, do you ever? Do you know what the Donner yeah, Party that kind is? Of goes into the. Uh, if you'd like to explain, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it's basically it's one of the wagon trails on the Oregon Trail. Blah blah blah. They left way too late, so like the latest you were supposed to leave was like the last week of April, and these guys left in June, so they weren't ever going to make it before the blizzards hit. So they have this. It's a whole long story. We'll eventually we'll do an episode on it. Long story short is that like the camp gets the the wagon trail gets split into two camps. They finally find help, and when they get back, the kids started eating the adults. And there was one girl in particular that and that's why you made me, you made me think of this. Uh, the one girl in particular was like, just snapped, and she's like, "Okay, we got to eat Uncle Tim," and she's like eight. So how old's Tober? Uh, she just turned seven. So imagine Tober saying that. It's, 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 Dude, but it's one of those things that it's fight or flight. Like, I feel like it's a natural human response that no matter what the age is, if you're starving, you're going to eat what's it, available. It changes in you. Front of you. And so, exactly. But yeah. And the kids just piled on Uncle Tim, held him down, and started cooking him and eating him while he was alive. And well, and Young cutting off piece by yeah, piece. That's what they were doing because <laughs> they only had a little tiny fire. But they didn't want him to die because he'd freeze because they were in a blizzard. It's like, you imagine an eight-year-old having that mental process? Yeah, of let's cut off piece by piece so he stays alive and stays warm so we have food for longer. Yeah. Like, I could never think of my daughter having that thought. But at the same time, people grew up way faster back then. Yeah, than it was, now. So like, it was a little different. Speaking, they're probably equivalent to like an 18-year-old now, you know? Yeah, they, yeah. And their life, yeah. yeah. So that may be a little different. It just blows my mind. I have an eight-year-old niece and I just like, is she going to eat me? <laughs> it put in the right situation, man. <laughs> well, it took like ten of them, but yeah. Oh, the Dover Demon's a baby Wendigo. That's the name of the episode. We'll <laughs> hey, that's a that's another future thing we can dive into. There's another episode idea. Just trying to aim people up for another thing we could get into in the future. <laughs> I think we can have plenty of episode topics. Oh gosh, I, I'm not going to get that image out of my head all night. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to move on to your next story? Yeah, yeah, we can hop into the next one. So, going back into Northville, um, 
I won't get into it on this episode. Maybe we can save it for a future one. But Perfect. I've always had a connection with shadow people. Um, just experiences from the time I was a kid up until even recently. And now it's like I didn't have experiences as common once I stopped astral traveling. But shadow people are one of those things that when you talk about them, they pop up. They have a way of appearing. So every time I've talked about them on episodes, like weird things start happening. So if weird things start happening, it's not I'll let you know. Did anything but happen Friday? Uh, I don't think so, but I fell asleep pretty early on Friday, I mean, and I yeah. feel like usually when I have activity, it's later at night. Mm. And one weird thing that I will point out is the fact that my kid, my son, likes to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on the dot every single day for some weird reason. <laughs> so it stopped for a little while because I put my dream catcher that my grandma made for me when I was a baby that I've had above my crib since I was a baby above his crib. And kind of funny, now that I'm thinking about it, he started doing it again middle of i'd say like last week or so which was weird because i've been getting into shadow people topics lately so <laughs> it's connected it's not who knows weird things <laughs> oh. you got all you get all the bad ones yeah that's what i'm saying man i even got a green-eyed shadow person but again that's a story for another day that's a but story for another i don't know day. maybe that one wasn't necessarily a bad one because it was never doing anything bad to me and it was during a time of like growth I guess you could say as far as, you so, know, you know yeah, for, as far as I know, I mean, green, green, like the abyss, who, who knows, man, <laughs> you probably got microchips in you. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I got, I don't have it on right now, but normally I have on my, uh, my, uh, galaxy watch, which is almost like a microchip that you wear. It on your basically skin. is. It might as well be. <laughs> hey man, in for an inch and for a mile, they're already can right. hear us. You doesn't matter. Carries their phones in their pockets it, all the time. Like it, it is what it is. <laughs> doesn't matter. You could have a chip in your brain. It don't matter. True. <laughs> but sorry. So, I guess getting getting into this uh, shadow person experience, um, where I like telling this story because it was one, unlike my other stories, that I actually had a second witness that saw the same thing at the same time as me. So starting from the beginning, going back to the whole Northville thing, um, like I was saying with the last story, we used to go to Northville regularly. Um, we take pictures, we do whatever, you know, you do in an abandoned place, just exploring and learning things about it. So this one particular day, Gabby's taking a bunch of pictures. Um, everybody knows how doing that can possibly take something back with you. So that being said, this may have been a shadow person. It may have been some type of dark entity, but it was definitely there. So we're at Northville for the day. Um, I'm going to say day and night because it was dark, of course, by the time we got home. So we get home. We unpack all of our stuff. Uh, at this time, my girlfriend and I lived with her parents, so we lived in a bedroom upstairs. So it was probably like, I don't know. It was one of the early hours of the morning, 1, 3, somewhere in that area. So we come downstairs to go and get a snack, and I'm standing at the base of the stairs. There's two couches in the front room, and then on the other side of the one couch is like where you go into the kitchen. So we get to the bottom of the stairs, and she takes off for the kitchen. I'm standing at the base of the stairs. She, As she's going towards the kitchen, both of us, at the same time, our eyes catch this thing that's sitting on the couch. And for anybody that hasn't seen a shadow person, it's kind of hard to explain, but for anybody that has, they know exactly what I'm talking about, that there's this figure, and it's darker than dark. And it's mm -hmm. obvious that something's there because you can't see through it, but it's the shape of a person in just darkness. So she was doing that thing where it's almost like you're just reacting and you're not really thinking. So she walks right past it while staring at it into the kitchen. She comes around the other side, looks at me, 
and we both look at each other and then we look over at it and it's gone. But we both saw it at the same time, made contact with each other. Like it, it was there and it was clearly there in front of us. And that was like the first time that I've ever had like a sh- shared shadow person experience. But it was just, I don't know what its intentions were. It didn't do anything past this, but it was just sitting on the couch and I have this weird feeling that it was just something that we brought back from Northville, be it a shadow person or a dark entity. So PSA, everybody at home, whatever your background is, I'm Christian. Uh, when you go out, if you go out and do these type of things, pray or do whatever you need to do to make sure nothing follows you home. Cause I do think that stuff, like you were saying, that stuff happens where unwittingly they follow. People don't realize you're inviting them or you're taking them home with you. And that's horrible. <laughs> You know, it's kind of dumb that I was just thinking about it. I did. I'm pretty sure it was that same day. I brought home two items with me from Northville. One was a no smoking sign. And two was this weird foam. It looks like a tiki head that I found in one of the offices. Hmm. So that may have also had a tie to it yeah. on top of the fact that we were taking pictures. But <laughs> I know I got rid of those two items. I don't remember exactly when, but... <laughs> There's a good possibility it may have been connected to one of the I'm just going to take this tiki head home out of the mental hospital. <laughs> Dude, I thought it was cool. It's like a hand-painted foam tiki head. I was just like in the office. I'm like, all right, cool. I didn't think anything of it, you know? <laughs> but of course, the weird item would be the thing that something's the, attached. The foam tiki head in the abandoned mental, mental hospital <laughs> is the most cursed item I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> right? The only now thinking back on the context too, like I wasn't into this stuff as much. Mm-hmm. Like I was still into it, but I wasn't into it as far as like the researching part of it goes. So it's like I did that then, not thinking anything about it. But if it was me now, like no, there's no way that I would bring anything back with me. I was gonna say the Especially only way it could a be a weird item. Yeah, it probably had an upside down cross on it, an ancient Native American dagger, all kinds of stuff inside of it. It was probably just like yeah, take this home with you. Yeah, it wasn't even made out of foam. <laughs> oh, god! It was just, like, <laughs> packed onto another hidden item, and they just wanted to hide it in something interesting. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> probably had a skull in it. I mean, it, it was it was in the offices. I was going to say, it would have been even weirder if I would have found it in the morgue area that I was telling you about a little bit earlier. Well, they used to smuggle skull, like, uh, I can't, I think it was South America, they used to smuggle skulls out and all kinds of weird stuff. All their, uh, decorated skulls human skulls they would smuggle them out in all kinds of other artifacts because they weren't allowed to take remains back there's all kinds of weird stuff i don't I think mean, they had this a skull. thing was probably like four inches maybe like six inches tall by like two inches deep so it wasn't like huge oh, where there okay. could have been anything like I get, crazy yeah. in it it was just this weird i'm thinking like, like a item, but... i'm thinking like a five gallon bucket sized tiki head yeah, no, it was just a, like a little handmade oh, thing. Like I if I that. had to assume, it would either be one, something that maybe somebody's kid made for them mm. that they brought into work and it was in the office, or two, kind of like a little twisted possibility, but maybe it was like an arts and crafts done by somebody at the psychiatric hospital because what? it was like a hand-painted piece of foam, which sounds exactly like something that they would give a mental patient they work as on. an art project. Yeah, because yeah, then they wouldn't couldn't hurt themselves with it. They could, you know chip out of the way like they're carving wood, but it's a piece of foam and they don't need to have anything sharp to do it, you know? Hmm. I, I, I definitely see that. I can see that. But I'm, glad, I'm glad you got rid of it. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, what's the name? You made me think. What's that town, the most cursed town out west, where if you take something back, like it gets all the stuff mailed back to it? Hmm. I can't think. I know what you're talking about, but my first connection went to like the Annabelle, or not Annabelle, what's the the doll where you have to ask permission to take the picture? Uh, uh, Not Roger. Uh, No, it's, it's Robert. Robert, the doll. Yeah, yeah, in Florida. Yeah, I don't know. It reminded me of that when you said that, that it's like you have to ask permission to take a picture, and if you don't, then it brings this curse or whatever you want to say with it, and then people will send letters back to this doll apologizing for not asking permission to take its picture. There's there's one out west that's the same thing. Like, if you get even if you get, like, a pebble stuck in your shoe, like, you'll have the worst luck ever. So every year, this little town that's next to this abandoned ghost town gets thousands of packages of return items. It's everything from rocks to bottles to stuff. One guy stole a piano, an old-timey piano from the like the saloon, and paid to ship it back after he left because of all the stuff that came with it. Uh, sorry. What's the origin of this town like as far as... Like, I'd have to look into it. it. I don't like remember. It's, like, I'm curious if something like big happened there that there's like this dark, tie connection to it I can't, or if I it's can't a matter remember. of like they wanted to like retain the town as it was so by taking items you're like defacing the town and whatever entity being is there that's how they're seeing it rather than it being like a dark item it's more so like they just want to maintain the town how it is I don't I can't remember I don't think it's the dark watcher town we have an episode coming out here soon well, relatively soon a couple weeks we're going to record it but uh, do you know what the Dark Watchers are? I, we're really off topic, but that's what happens. Hey, but I, that's always the best stuff, though. You never know what you might get into. We got into, uh, you know, <laughs> the Dover Demon being a possible baby Wendigo. So oh, you gosh. never know where you might yeah. go when you're free-flowing, but it's always worth it. I'm excited <laughs> to see how people react to that, because the Dover Demon's kind of a pet on this page. Dude, I'm excited. I, I, I want to do an episode on this now, just because I want to find more solid evidence on why this could be theoretically possible. Because just off of just a little rip we're doing, we found like four or five reasons why that could be a good possibility. But uh, so the Dark Watchers are these giants out uh, out west on the last ridge line before you get to the coast, out in California and stuff. I can't remember which ridge line off the top of my head, but they're like twenty to thirty feet tall, and they always wear these giant sombrero type hats. And they stand on top of the ridge, and they watch you walk through. You're never supposed to acknowledge them. Uh, one standing in the gully way. There's only one way to get out of the out of the valley, over the mountain, and through the other side. If there's one standing in there, you're supposed to keep walking and not look at it. They have giant glowing white eyes, and they just watch you the whole time. Dark watchers. They're pitch black, and they just watch. Uh, there was a town though in the valley. So there was like several last stops before you cross the mountain type of towns. There was one that had a church in it. And so it goes two ways. The story goes two ways where the church was a good God fearing church, great Christians or the opposite way. Well, so the first way they're good God fearing Christians. This demon of the dark watcher comes down while they're having their Sunday night congregation. He comes in stands up, locks her behind him, and just sets the place ablaze. Kills everybody in the town and then leaves. The opposite is, is the church was either satanic or demonic or just getting into bad stuff, and it was like using the church as a facade, as a cover. So the Dark Watcher 
came down and said, you will all burn like you're in hell, and then lit the church on fire. Either way, this whole town got abandoned, and the church burnt down with almost every member of the community inside the church. A couple weren't there, but it's just this... I mean... Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it reminds me of, like, the whole, like, watchers, like, the biblical watchers concept. If you're talking about it being, like, the church part, where it may not even be necessarily, like, a cryptid, but it could actually be more something, more so something biblical. And they're still seen to this day. Or the other connection to it, too, is maybe they're another different variation of shadow people where they're trying to protect a specific area for a specific reason, but we may not be aware of it. Because it does sound like the characteristics of a shadow person with the eyes, but it's a different eye color than we've experienced before. So yeah, it's so maybe they have a totally different intention. Like godly white, like you're being looked at by an angel or something. You know what I mean? Like the, like almost like headlights, or that what the eyes are described as, as producing light, white light. And I don't think they're bad personally. From all the stories, that's the only time they've ever really hurt somebody. They've led people over the passes. It's a, there's a couple stories with that where like people get lost and they just kind of show up, but you can't look at them like directly. And they don't ever look. They try when they're that close. They don't look at you directly. And that could be this whole thing with like if they're holy entities, you know, looking at a divine being can be very dangerous for a human. Mm-hmm. So if it's that kind of thing, whatever the shadow person thing is, they seem to be that same. We talked about it on your show. Where I don't think, I think shadow people are a big wide group because I think they're extra dimensional or interdimensional beings that our brain can't process. So it just puts a blob on it. It's pitch black and says, okay, there's something there. I can't describe to you what's there, but here's an object to represent it. Deal with it. And, and like we're talking about on my show too, like these could be, there could be 20 different beings, but we perceive them the same way. Yeah. So maybe that's where the different intentions come in is that they're not either one. It's like people where not every person has the same intention. Some people are good. Some people are bad or two, depending on what the intentions are, be it the, the eye, the ones that have glowing eyes, the hat men, the wisps, the regular shadow people, they could all theoretically be different entities that we, with our optical line of vision, perceive the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's more along that line. That's why we have all these blacker than black beings that are just purely different. Like like we talked about on your show, the one I experienced, my shadow person, was not a good thing. He was the pure embodiment of evil. But I've heard the opposite. I've heard people well, you know, have more positive end stories where they well, like like Ghost, like when he told us his story. You know, it wasn't necessarily an evil thing it was just a thing that was there but i don't know it's well i mean the other issue too is that people have to see things as black or white Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that everything is necessarily like that so we're trying to say this thing is good this thing is bad but its intentions could be completely uncomprehendable by people because we're not thinking in that mindset and it may not be good or bad it could just be in the middle you know where it's like it isn't good or bad. It just has a purpose or an intention and it doesn't, it isn't fueled by like what's morally right or wrong. And those standards only are perceivable by people because we've set our own rules and regulations for like, what's okay, what's not okay. But that doesn't mean that it's the same anywhere else. Like look at the animal kingdom, for example, like we have rules that you don't hurt this other person, the animal kingdom, you know, if somebody walks up and tries to take your female, you're going to murder them. Mm -hmm. Like, doesn't work that way for people so 
It's like, why would we assume that it's the same for any other race or being a people to have the same moral rules as people? Hmm. I like it. Mine was bad, though. I'm I'm stuck on that. <laughs> no, it just, I do think it just, I do think that some of them are demonic and you can feel that. And that's a very, I think maybe a small percentage of them because it's, I don't ever trust anything with red eyes. And there's no anything with that has red eyes. Mine didn't have red eyes, but you know, I've heard the shadow people story with the, the fiery red eyes or even some Bigfoot stories with the red eyes. That's in my opinion, that's not Bigfoot. That's something that's putting on the Bigfoot look. And that, or like, is it theoretically possible that, okay. So in humans, like cannibals, make you go crazy like being mm-hmm. cannibal makes you go crazy same with like cows like you get mad cow disease so like red-eyed sasquatch who's to say that it may not be a sasquatch with some type of like illness where it's enraged almost like a rabies so to speak for like a sasquatch you know i guess i'm sure illnesses exist oh yeah they, they have to get communities. sick uh so i guess it's more of the eye glow the red eye glow so Sasquatch eye reflect normally that chartreuse, that green yellow, but the red eye glow is just something that's like there's no light on them, and they're just this two big glowing red eyes, and then you shine the light over there and you see the Sasquatch, and we put a lot of that in the Fey folk category. That I don't know if you guys ever go in much into the Fey, but the big thing with the Fey is that they are not here fully; they're not physical beings in our realm. So a lot of times they change their shape dramatically. And a lot of times they put on the look that you want them to have. Uh, whatever you're putting out there, they make. So if you're going out in the woods, especially if you're looking for Bigfoot, and you're going out the woods or you have Bigfoot in the back of your mind, and they're going to take that image and they're going to paint it, but they are not physical as in me and you physical. So they have these extraordinary abilities or traits that kind of stick around like the glowing red eyes. They're turning into orbs and walking away. They're phasing into trees. We really seem to have two separate sets of Sasquatch where the one is an animal. It acts like an animal. It eats. It poops. You know, it runs. Then you have these other ones that turn into a ball of light, and then they walk through a tree, and they do all this, you know, all this crazy stuff. There was one that walked off a cliff but kept walking as if it was on the same level of ground. And I mean, I like the theory that it's not even a Sasquatch at all. It's something taking the shape because there's enough cryptids that are known to morph and take shapes of other things. So if you're trying to one, make people avoid you or two, scare people away, like what not a better cryptid to temporarily mask yourself behind than a giant fucking Sasquatch, giant Sasquatch. Sorry. (laughs) I'll fix it. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I said half the word. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. I'll, <laughs> no, no. I'll take care of it. That's my job. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely, I, I can get behind that, that it's, whether it's a thing like the Fey or a different thing, or, you know, that mimicry that make yourself look big and scary. You know, a Sasquatch, like you're saying, is definitely one that if you're trying to intimidate something, that's a good one. That's a good one to pick. That or a dog man. Everything hates a dog man. I mean, it could be a skinwalker, too, theoretically, because if you're going off of, like, the Native American idea of, like, a skinwalker, that they have to have some type of, like, the DNA in order to shift into that, whether it's, you know, a piece of hair or they have, like, the pelt of it, like, 
if you're trying to hide your existence, what not a better way to, you know, be a skinwalker and like mask yourself as, you know, a, a Sasquatch, you know? Hmm, I like it. I like it a lot. So. Because who knows, like, if they even have, they may even have, like, a connection with each other where it's, like, they're on, like, they exist in our plane, but they could theoretically be kind of connected to another plane. So it may be easier for, like, a skinwalker to obtain Sasquatch DNA than it would be for, like, a human to obtain Sasquatch DNA because they might be able to, like, sense each other or something like that, you know? Even if it's just going off the idea of just collecting a hair. How many people have collected hair samples from Sasquatches and things that they believe are Sasquatches? Mm -hmm. Like, if there was a supposed skinwalker, they could just as easily pick up a piece of Sasquatch DNA and go, boom, now I'm a big red-eyed Sasquatch. Get away from my area in the woods. Hmm. I like it a lot. Because that explains a lot of the stuff, especially in, like, you know... We can't say the name of the ranch, so don't say the name of the ranch. But then you went to Basin out there. Uh, where is, is it the SD for the variation? So just so I don't know if we're talking about the same place. SW. The creature. So Okay. Yeah. But yeah. There, there was another ranch. I thought you were talking about There's the, that the, one too. They're, yeah, right, they're on the same ridge. And there's the, the blind frog is right between those two. Because you're talking about SD is on the other side of Blind Frog comparatively to SW. Mm-hmm. Uh, but SW is starting to sue people for saying their name. Are they? Yes. So Dude, that's because people are starting to get onto it, man. Don't, I don't know say it on I, your show. Yeah, I was going to say, I have another good friend who's been following that whole thing and has started connecting like Mormons with that whole area and place. Like... I'm, not, I'm trying not to say the name because I don't want anything, yeah. you know, I'm, don't. I'm trying to avoid saying the name, but yeah, there, there's possible like Mormon ties to all that. So now that that's starting to get uncovered, that's interesting. And there's a lot of politicians linked to Mormons, like that could be a reason why they're on top of that now is because maybe we're starting to finally dig and get somewhere. That's because interesting. Oh. You should hear Patriot's take on a New York Patriot, man. He has solid, solid, solid connections to, with almost everything listen. with said ranch is linked to Mormons. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And when you use contact clues, you know what we're talking about. We just can't say it. Uh, I got warned by another podcast about that. Uh, well, I'd hoped that anybody that's here, this audience, would kind of... I feel like that's, like, entry level when you're in this stuff. So they I, I know. really, really hope they know. that everybody that knows knows what we're talking about. You went to Basin. That's... It's... The craziest, one of the craziest areas on the planet. I really think. You know, do you know about the gravitational anomalies out there? Yeah, and that's crazy. So we have gravitational anomalies all over the planet. So they're not rare by any means. They are rare, but not like you can find them. What's weird is how many are on the Uinta Basin. It's like there's a big anomaly underneath somewhere. That's what's weird about the Uinta Basin anomalies, the gravitational anomalies, where you have these spots you can stand on, and you're experiencing less or more gravity than you normally would. And You want to hear something extra weird about yes. that, too, is the guy that owns this place first was talking a lot about like scientific evidence of things, right? SD and or SW? SD. Okay. So then he started popping. Oh no, SW. SW. So then he started popping on shows and talking about more of like the spirituality connection to things. So that being said, 
you know, the whole triangle anomaly, like portal idea kind of connects in with the spirituality concept. So again, making a tie that maybe it's like we're figuring out more. And that's again, why they're suing for having that name and just the connection of just like the spirituality also connected to that where everything starts to come full circle. And we start figuring out that all this ancient spirituality is no different than like alchemy got turned into chemistry. So it's a branch of science. It just hasn't developed a name because we don't have the full understanding of it yet, but magic is just science. You don't understand come around circle. Exactly. It's magic is just science. You don't understand what you don't understand the process. You understand if I do this, I get this result. You don't understand the middle. And I do think there's a, a a good, I think that's happening out there where they're getting these magic or whatever results because they don't understand they can do something and get the result. Like they're at that specific area. They're starting to get where they can cause a UFO to appear. They can cause a specific thing to appear. They don't know what it is. They don't know why it's doing that, but they know if they do this. If they do a 90% of the time B happens and it's vibrations and frequencies. And that's what all of these old ideas of the spirituality all come down to is like healing vibrations, different frequencies, all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it sounds woo woo now, but now it's starting to get figured out that there's, you can alter visible reality with vibrations and frequencies. And I feel like the secrets to that are hidden within spirituality. Hmm. We've gone over a lot of topics so far. Hey, and I like to throw the out there concepts. That's I like where it. I know. I love it. This has been reality. We're having a lot of fun. <laughs> so, I'm going to break it away from those topics for a little bit. What are some, so the, like I said, the back half of this show, uh, you have some really interesting ideas about some topics we've already done on our show. So I want to start getting into some of those. So I'm putting you on the spot. So where do you want to start? What topic of ours do you want to attack and tear apart and tell me how wrong we are? Actually, if anything, I feel like I'm going to tell you how right you are. And I'm just, I'm just picking on you, especially, <laughs> Well, I mean, if you want to, there's three we could get into. Um, we could get into one, your mushroom one. Then two, we could get into my theory that I was talking about before we started the show. And then three, we could end up on the salamander concept and kind of get well-rounded on three different theories here. Sounds perfect to me. So who are we starting with? Uh, since I got one and you got two, let's put me in the middle. So we can start with whatever one you prefer. Let's start with mushrooms. I like ending on the salamander. Salamander's pretty easy going. But mushroom is the thing that's causing me high anxiety now because everybody is emailing. Yeah, I see the mushrooms. I'm a big mushroom enthusiast. I got my (laughs) Alice in Wonderland and I got my aliens smoking weed on a mushroom over here. (laughs) That the mushroom thing is taking on a life of itself. I'm getting emails constantly about it with people wanting me to come on and express the idea more. And it's like, I love the idea. I love my idea because I really think it is what's happening, but I did not expect the, uh, uh, the overall positivity with it you know what i mean where the dude the... i heard it and i like i said i just i'm gonna solidify it more for you because i do have some other mushroom knowledge so you know bounce the two ideas together i'm just hopefully gonna make your theory even more set in stone and possible <laughs> all right i'm excited let's get into it so where are we starting uh do you want to start well i guess your listeners kind of know but if they hadn't already heard it do you, you want to like kind of start from the beginning and i can kind of just put on my two senses you kind of go through it all right yep i'll do that real quick uh mushrooms or ufos okay no uh so i was listening to betty and barney hill and you got 
guys, go listen to that episode. It's a pet project of mine. It took months of making. It's probably the one that has the most back work for an episode. But I was listening to Betty Barney Hill abduction on a different podcast, and the men in black came to Betty and Barney Hill, and they did their normal questions. And then what was weird is they asked a question is, did you have any nitrates in the car? And Barney's like, well, what's a nitrate? And they're like, oh, it can be everything, fertilizer, hot dogs, blah, blah, blah. Hot dogs come up later. And Barney's like, well, yeah, I had 300 pounds of fertilizer in the trunk. And he's like, is it still there? No, it's not. And I'm like, nitrates, fertilizer. And then there was another story. I looked, I started going into that train, that rabbit hole in the 60s and 70s, specifically the men in black, the government men in black, were asking questions about nitrates. All like they have all their normal UFO questions, and somewhere in that questionnaire would be the word nitrate, and it just kept coming up. And the one guy had five hundred pounds of hot dogs and went missing. He got you know the classic you know UFO appeared in the road, stopped him. He had his encounter. He got back in his car, or he got back in his truck, and he realized all the freaking hot dogs are gone. What the hell? You know where 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 did it all go? So I just remember, I'm like, I'm at work listening to stuff. I listen to podcasts at work and I'm like, they're all mushrooms. They're all mushrooms. Because if you are atmospheric, it's a big, long thing. So listen to that episode if you want the full thing. But fungus is found in the upper atmosphere. So cool thing about fungus is that there is no environment on the planet right now that fungus aren't present in. And that's pole to pole. That's deep ocean to upper atmosphere. There is no environment. And they also... Yeah. You gotta like... Oh, I was gonna say, also, too, um, they adapt to the environment depending on what's needed. So, like, just because there's an area of radiation doesn't mean a mushroom's not gonna find a way to live because what did we discover in Chernobyl? We found black fungus, which eats radiation. They love it. And then what did we discover in the middle of the ocean? Plastic eating ones. Fungus that yeah. eats plastic. Yep. So They're, they adapt to the environment and they alter the environment to what is needed. Yeah, they have they make it fit. They'll make anything work. So you have this whole... They terraform. Yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> farmers. They're economic traders in forest. Uh, and Bob's what I always end everything on. But, because Bob is just truly massive. I, I'm, I'm memorizing a number. If you made Bob into one solid shape... He's 2,400 acres squared. Uh, so he is not a small organism. So Bob is the largest organism to ever exist. Uh, and he farms. So do you know the story of how they discovered Bob? I'm sure you do, but I'll tell everybody at home. Uh, I also want to add in, too, just before you get into that story, that this is the surface that we know of of Bob. But that yeah. doesn't include he could go very how deep. deep he may go underground. So he could be six times the size for all we know. But we're just going off of what we can physically see. But just like anybody that's in mycology knows, mushrooms are not actually the plant. It's the mycelium that's the, the mycelium network living being, yes. And then the mushrooms are just the fruit. So they yeah. only pop up just like, you know, like an apple tree producing apples. So it's like what you see when you see a mushroom and what people perceive as being the mushroom that's isn't the gonads. actually like yeah that's not actually like the the species or what the actual if, living thing if is if they were a plant that would be the flower exactly uh but they're much more genetically closer to animals do you know that yeah yeah they, they, they don't crazy. fall into the category of plant or of animal because they're their own they kingdom. actually characteristics of both yep yeah. but uh 
Yeah, it's crazy. And then they're the old. So the oldest multicellular fossil we have is a fungus. And it's a mycelia uh, clod. And its oldest estimate could be is one billion years old. So it is older than most, uh, most, it's the oldest multicellular life we have, true multicellular life as of right now. So they've had a long time to take on some crazy shapes. But, so Bob could be super deep. But Bob, so how they discovered Bob was they, so Bob's a honey, a honey mushroom. Uh, I can't remember the name of the tree out there, but they have symbiotic relationships with the trees on their back. They feed the trees certain nutrients, the trees feed them certain nutrients in return. So they farm the forest on top of their backs. They're normally like uh, tennis court sized. Uh, that's a big one. Normally, there's three bobs that are super huge. So they discovered Bob because they did a uh, they drilled down into the ground to get a core sample, and a hundred acres of forest died in like a day. Because and they did they didn't know what happened. It just they came back the next day, and this big long swath of forest is dead. And they noticed all the honey mushroom for that area also disappeared. And they're like, and then they started doing research with dyes. And they started finding out that Bob is just humongous. He's just, he's the biggest thing to ever exist. And there's two other ones that we know about currently. And they're both a lot smaller than Bob, but they're both humongous. Uh, and they're right now that we're making microchips out of funguses because they're, they have, I, it's not electromagnetic impulses, but they have their equivalent. Mushrooms constantly are buzzing with information. Their bodies are constantly buzzing with uh, with information, whether it's sentient or not, it's an argument. But they're constantly talking. Uh, there's everybody loves on TikTok and stuff the synthesizers hooked up to the mushrooms uh, because that's designed to hook up to your electromagnetic pulses on your skin. That's your 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 nerve system talking. That's what it's designed for. Some guy stuck it to a mushroom and it worked on them. And it, it really shouldn't. If, we, if they were as simple as we think they are, it really shouldn't work. They shouldn't have that much buzzing inside of them. If you stuck that thing to a plant, nothing would happen. Uh, it's just absolutely crazy to me. So the whole idea is that we found all kinds of fungus up in the upper atmosphere that they may be the thing that is responsible for these UFO sightings. So that's the, that's the short of it. Go listen to that episode. When I had a script in front of me, it went a lot better. <laughs> um well like one comment i was gonna make about it is you've heard of the stone date theory haven't yes. you? so for anybody that doesn't know what the stone date theory is um the idea is that human consciousness evolved from humans eating mushrooms so we get into this whole concept about how we got ancient technology all these different things from ancient aliens whatever you want to say but we could be looking at it in totally the wrong light this knowledge that we got from extraterrestrials could have, if mushrooms are extraterrestrial, they could have just from eating them, that could have been like what boosted consciousness and partly like made it so that humans became what they are today. So like they could have been altered by an extraterrestrial force without even fully realizing it. And then another connection to that, that I wanted to point out was that people are asking like why people ate mushrooms. They used to follow herds of animals for food, of course, um, because people were nomadic or not even people at this time, but like primitive apes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, of course you're following a herd, there'd be poop everywhere. What grows out of poop? Mushrooms. So that's why they would have started eating them. But another connection I was thinking of while you were kind of explaining the idea is that 
So with alien thing, probing, right? Always you hear about probing when it comes to alien abductions. So one, they could be looking for the fertilizers like you were saying. Two, what if it's a misunderstanding of the probing that we think that they're probing us for whatever reason, but realistically, what if it's a mushroom again looking for food because what's in your butt? Poop. What do they grow out of? Poop. Ooh, I like it. I like that a lot. That's definitely getting in our episode part two. You'll get credit, don't worry. Because I like that. And we we had the idea that it was due to re- or the reproductive cycle. Uh, so many species of mushroom have to have a third party in the reproduction cycle. And Like cordyceps, for example. And if everybody had, doesn't know what those are, just a quick little explanation. Yeah. That thing you see on Discovery Channel where a m- ant gets infected by a mushroom and it goes up to a high point and it grows a spore out of its head and shoots everywhere... That's that. That's the cordyceps. It's also a zombie. Kind of a little additive thing is that cordyceps give people energy, so they have a totally different effect on people, and you'll actually find them in like little pill forms that are intended for like focus and energy. So hmm. kind of kind of funny that it reacts totally too, totally different for two different animals. Yeah, one's a it turns you into a living zombie till it explodes your body. The other one's an energy pill. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> energy and focus. Fungus are so weird. <laughs> And there's so many. There's slime molds. There's there's predatory. There are predatory funguses. People don't think about like you. Think, people just think of the mushroom as the the genitalia, the reproductive organs. That's all a mushroom that's above the ground. That thing you see, like you were saying, is just for reproduction. That's why it rots as soon as it's done. Like I got a uh, uh, a green that big green spot in the backyard. I put pictures of on the on the Facebook Sorry, page. I thought of something. That popped up. Um, going off of your idea, so what if mushrooms aren't necessarily the alien as we would assume they are? What if they're some type of either one they're created and they have a consciousness of their own created by some type of other alien? Or what if they're basically my, my idea is what if they're created to terraform places because they do take over an environment and they adapt it to what's needed for that environment to survive. So going off of like the whole engineers kind of concept from alien and stuff, like what if the mushrooms extraterrestrials that you're perceiving and talking about aren't actually the aliens. They're something that the aliens send to terraform the planet. Hmm. I could get that. I'm pretty much, I don't think they're aliens at all. I just think they're, the old earthlings they've been around forever sure. and we're just a blip on their radar we're right now we're the favorite host because like i talked about on that episode is that if you're picking a host you need a large-bodied animal uh pick the one that has health care pick the one that has a constant source of food pick the one that lives in a house that doesn't have to worry about predation because if they're reproducing this way they probably put a lot of time into one offspring so it's just it makes more sense, you know. Two or you know, twenty thousand years ago, it's probably mastodons. You know, now there's not a lot of things eating a mastodon, but so you can leave your your embryo there for a while to cook and not worry about you know something eating a twenty ton mammoth. It, it's. I mean, that could explain the reabductions where you hear of like somebody that gets pregnant and then they get abducted again and the baby's gone. Is because again, like you were saying, it could be using the person as a host and then re-retrieving that baby for that life whether stage. or not they're like yeah they're like a fully conscious being or if they're just something that's running off of like 
you know, just like I was saying, like consciousness all depends on like the person. So like something else's consciousness could be just as conscious as us, but conscious in a totally different way with a totally different thought process, you know? So we're going to bring this up on mushrooms part two on our page. But one of our, uh, one of our members, our Patreon reached out to us. He's a big guy in this kind of stuff. He has, his name's Andy. Hi, Andy. He listens to all the shows. Uh, he has the idea that it connected to him when he listened to the episode that how many of these UFO alien encounters, which I don't think they're alien once again, but we, they represent in our brain as alien or these, these entities that we can't fully see this dreamlike state. How many of them, how many times have you heard? We're so glad you found out how to talk to us this way, or we're so glad you figured out how to communicate with us. Like it's on our end too. They don't know how to talk to us. They're so different. I, Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say I have personal a personal mushroom trip story where they were like, this is going to sound crazy woo-woo out there to some people, but like they were talking to me in my head, basically saying exactly what you're saying, that you found a way to communicate things like that. And that's part of the reason why I got into mycology for so long and want to understand these things was because I did have that sense. And coming from somebody who was also a mycologist, they're very conscious like you wouldn't understand in the aspect of like, I had a good friend that used to grow them also. And then there was me. I'm kind of laid back, relaxed. I had a whole rule about if I was angry, anything like that, I wouldn't go in that room. Like I'd play music, kind of just keep them happy all around where my one buddy used to do like MMA. Um, he was just a very irritated, aggravated person. And so we would get the same genetics from the same person. Mine would grow twice as big as his and when people had them, they would say that, like, they'd have a happier trip off of the ones that I had. So what if, like, like they're, they're storing energy of some sort or they're fully conscious. And that also kind of falls into, like, where the whole, like, trip concept and stuff comes to is that they're, like, like their consciousness and they're conscious in a way that we don't fully understand. And I could, I've seen physical proof of myself that they are conscious to some level because of just, like playing music makes them happy like doing certain things makes them like the same things that you do to make a person happy you do to them and you'll watch them flourish versus like if you are always yelling around them things like that like they'll they'll end up growing smaller like it's really really weird like they i don't know going into some woo -woo stuff they just they they have like an understanding of things around them they have like so much woo woo attached to them that even it they're just weird things they're the oldest group on the planet uh so they didn't split from animals. Animals split from them. They're so ancient, but so diverse. Literally hundreds of thousands of species. Uh, we're, I think, what was the number? I just looked it up for research for the next episode. But we are discovering like fifteen to 2,000 species of mush- or fungus a year, new species, because they're so freaking diverse. They're literally just... So you have... What was... There was one that was a synthesizer... That we were showing that they can feel pain, or they're at least aware of pain, because uh, when they started harvesting it, it started reacting differently. The neuron—it's not neurons. I keep saying neurons because that's what it, it. It if it was a mammal or an animal, it'd be the neurons start firing differently in reaction to being attacked or harvested or you know pain. So it starts talking. I mean- when you harvest them, they do bruise too. So that's mm-hmm. another kind of like more animal-like characteristic more so than a plant characteristic. Because if you chop a stem off a plant, it's not going to change colors. You chop the stem on a mushroom, and if it's a psilocybin mushroom, it's going to completely turn 
blackish blue and bruised just like skin would. And even just like the mushrooms themselves, when you have them, if you flick them really hard, they'll bruise just like skin would. Hmm. The, the whole thing is just arguing at this point. I think it's just arguing if they're sentient. And Europe is banning all kinds of species. Like I think they're banning, I think England's banning octopus. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff because they're sentient now. We we fully, I fully believe octopus are sentient. They think more than we do. Uh, yeah, they play with scuba divers when they go down there, like physically play and show them rocks and stuff. They dream. Do you see that? That's mm-hmm. they dream. They have all kinds of emotion when they dream. But the fungus thing, it's just, it's an outlet. That, and it's not all UFOs. I make that clear in that first episode. This is not a catch-all for every UFO. We're talking about a specific type, but it fits. And it's... So what really got me thinking after this is I've always thought a lot of UFOs are organic. I didn't know they were fungus until that episode, or until I started doing that stuff. But like a lot, like the Tic Tac UFO, it was playing with that fighter jet. It seemed like an animal enjoying its time, like a dolphin with a barge. You know, I'm so much faster, more maneuverable. I'm going to jump around you. I'm over here. I'm over here. Let's play. Now I'm going to go in front of you. Now I'm behind you. You know, let's let's play. And it, well, then it got bored, so it left. You know, it, it's like, okay, I, I'm not getting anything out of this. So it just leaves. It's a, it almost reminds me of that concept of somebody, like, testing out the police. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I got a faster car. Look what I can do. And then once, you know, the police can't catch up, they're like, all right, I'm done. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's it's it really seems like that. It just seems like they're not maliciously toying with them, or you know. So here's one that's going to come up in episode two. So everybody listening, this is going to get a lot of sneak peeks for episode two. We're going to really target the nuclear mushroom because what do a lot of UFOs obsess about? Our nuclear wars, like our uh, nuclear storage. Like so, I was just about to say too. What if that's another form of like fertilizer oh it is oh they love it yep they love nuclear waste uh and some of our most concentrated like we have all kinds of ufos and then they kind of leave after because they figure out that this is not an edible form for me i can sense the food source but you know it's wrapped up in all this metal inside this thing and it's not it's not an edible it's not an edible form so it's like you smelling food that you can't eat and they come in and they check it out and they're like, okay, well, this isn't, you know, this ain't going to work out and they leave. But that's like, especially in like the 70s and 80s, they were obsessed with our nuclear power bases, our nuclear plants. You know, they would buzz overhead and kind of, to me, they were sniffing around. Okay, I know there's nuclear radiation here, but is it an edible form? Is this something I can grab and go? And they found it's not, so they leave. I mean, kind of like we we're talking about too, where mushrooms adapt depending on like the environment. Um, like, what if that's what it was? Where maybe back in the day they liked this particular food source, but then they realized that it was a very difficult food source to obtain. So then they started trying to adapt and move to easier food sources. So instead of going after a military base where there's something that's shooting at them, a bunch of things watching them, they'll end up at like fertilizer plants, things like that, where there's nobody watching it. There's no military personnel. There's no flying objects. So they just adapted to getting an easier form of food. So here's a really weird one for you that we're, we, I started doing research for episode two. Do you know how many UFO sightings correlate with garbage dumps? Please explain. <laughs> Hundreds. 
it's an undocumented phenomenon where they're always going in and out of garbage dumps. And I think it's them eating. I think it's just the easier yeah. option. Like a like a big space raccoon where <laughs> it's just all this free liquidy food. Cause so they're probably built very light to stay in the upper atmosphere. Uh, they're probably some kind of internal uh, like either muscle like a muscle propulsion system with an air sac mixed in. So even though they're very big and hard on the outside, there's probably not a whole lot internally going on. You know, they're probably mostly these big gaseous air sacs to stay up there. Uh, they're capable of very fast speeds, so they have a hard shell. But so they need these foods. Like they, they're not eating us. We take too much work to digest. We would take too much work to break down and be in the atmosphere. You know, for our 200-pound, 300-pound weight, there's a lot more efficient food you can grab, like the garbage slurry at the bottom of the dump that is all the stuff that's already pre-broke down in a nice, big, thick soup for you to drink up, and you fill up and you go. Nobody's shooting at you for it. Nobody's chasing you down in a fighter jet for it. You know, there's a junkyard dog, but you're 100 feet long, so what's that matter? Yeah, but it, it was like you should look into. I'm kind of curious if there's been sightings near like processing facilities for like uh like waste, like like poop and like human like I'm sure. matter and stuff. I'll, like, I'll look into it. I wonder if they kind of hang out around those areas too, because then that would kind of fit the whole idea of you know why they could theoretically be probing is to collect that food while they're also theoretically like implanting you know the next offspring <laughs> there's all kinds two, two for one you know oh so one thing we did leave out is like you said the psilocybin earlier is that psilocybin can be you know you can eat the flesh of mushrooms to get it there are a few species though that release it in their spores so that's what i was gonna say like puff mushroom style mm-hmm. you know like there's ones that'll just shoot off a, a fluff of spores so that's why when like betty and barney hill that's the big one is why they seen the same ship they seen the same aliens had vastly different experiences because they went into it with different mindsets. And I've never taken a mushroom in my life, but that's kind of my understanding is it's really about the mindset you're going in with. Uh, Barney lived a hunted life. He was a black man in a time where black men were not allowed to have positions of power. And he was his postmaster in his town. So he was very high up in his town. And so he lived a very uh, persecuted life. A lot of people from not, the area liked him, but a lot of people from out of the area were hunting him. And then Betty had this nice thought of UFOs. She and her sister were always talking about them. Like they are like, oh, these are so cool. So when they have this experience, they have, they see the same thing and they both say they've seen the same thing. They see the same aliens. They're almost identical. They're a little different if you look at their, both of their drawings, but they're pretty close. They go inside. And it is 100% different. Betty gets a tour of the ship. She gets shown books. She gets shown star maps. She's all happy. Barney is strapped to a table and viciously gone at with instruments. So they have two very different things. You know, and it shook Barney up for the rest of his life, and Betty loved talking about it. You know, so it's just this whole thing where they're experiencing the same thing, but they're not. And... Is it, you know, is that aliens doing it or is it this, you know, are you, are they having a trip where this mushrooms is sitting there, spores are all over there and it's just digging in the back of their trunk, getting all the fertilizer out and then it takes off and then they go home and then they wake up like it's the lost time thing. 
so they wake they they come out of their trip you know halfway home they go into autopilot kind of deal and just start going home and then they start regressing and they start remembering stuff and they remember similar things but they just remember completely different things so what do you think about that side of it well i mean coming from somebody that has some experience with it um mushrooms pretty much bring your subconscious to your conscious so like whatever's bothering you in the back of your mind is going to be brought to the forefront so exactly what you just said if you live a life where you're scared of everything um like that's going to be shown in front of you if you're afraid of being poked and prodded like it's going to make you deal with those emotions and it's going to be directly in front of you but if you're a happy person you're able to just like not have to be in control you can just let them take their ride then that's kind of the idea that you get because if you fight them then they're going to fight back. And even from my personal experiences, it's like if you go into it with an open mind wanting to see what has to be shown, then, you know, they'll show you the world in a sense, you know, just like how they were doing with her. Um, but if you fight them, you try to control them, then they throw you into the dark abyss of your mind, which is exactly what it sounds like happened with him. So just off of like my experiences with mushroom trips, it's hundred percent how it sounds would be exactly how those people with their mindsets would react if they were to trip on psilocybin. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got that confirmation because I've never done anything like that personally. Uh, so it's all just me reading, you know, reading other people's experiences and you know how well that works out sometimes, but it's one of those things that especially psychedelics, it's like, it's really, really hard to explain. Cause it's like, uh, like, just the, the the concepts and the way your mind works and thinks, like, you can't bring it back with you, you know? Like, mm -hmm. it's, you can it's see done. and perceive things that don't exist, but as soon as you're back in your normal mindset, like, stuff that made complete sense while you're tripping make absolutely no sense. But then it's like you trip again, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, that makes sense again. And then, you know, you go, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's like you're rewiring your brain to think differently. Like I made the, the, the analogy on the last show we did that it's like those pictures where there's two images and you're used to just seeing this one image. So you can't see the other one, no matter how hard, no matter what you do, you can't see that other one. But if you have a slight tweak of vision and perception, then all of a sudden you can see the other side, but then you can't see that original picture you're seeing anymore. So I, it's kind of the same idea with like mushrooms is that it's like, you see everything in this exact way, but as soon as you have that slight tweak, you see everything completely different, but as soon as that slight tweak is gone, then you can't see that anymore. Hmm. It's such an interesting topic. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it because it's just, there's so much, it fits so much stuff. It fits all this weird, unexplainable stuff. And I love it. Mushrooms, they're UFOs. We could, feed, we could probably find hundreds and hundreds of different reasons. And I mean, even just the idea of like there being different species of fungus could theoretically be why different things interact in different ways, you mm -hmm. know, like, and even just like, we know psilocybin as psilocybin what it is, but if there was something that's, well, from this planet, but really old, but slightly tweaked different, like their version of psilocybin could be different than the version of psilocybin that we know. Like it could be more intense um, it could make it so maybe you're like, can work on autopilot where kind of like you're saying with that story that it's like your subconscious is working. So they're able to drive halfway home before their conscious kicked back in mm -hmm. 
kind of sounds like a mushroom trip besides the part of being functional when you're in your subconscious. So just like maybe it's just it works it's a little slightly bit different, different or maybe it's yeah. same molecular kind of structure, but just slightly tweaked where it's like you're able to interact a little bit different of a way, you know? Hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Anything else for mushrooms before we move on? Um, I think we're pretty pretty covered on that one, but I definitely uh, when you do that part two, I want to listen, and I'm sure I'll have more. Uh, oh yeah, more to hop on with I'm you not, I, if you don't want to invite me to that episode, which would also be really cool. It'd be what? <laughs> I said if you didn't want to invite me to that episode, which would also be really cool. We'll see. We'll talk about it off air, <laughs> but no, yeah. Uh, so what's our next one? You there? My lagging? Yeah, sorry. It, oh, we had a little had, bit like, of gap. A lag for two seconds, so I didn't know if it was you or me for a second. I was just going to edit that out later. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, what are we on to next? So, I guess we'll hop on to my theory. Yeah. So, well, I don't want to take full credit for this theory because I'm not, I don't know if somebody else has thought it up somewhere in the past, but it was just something I thought of one day. So, the idea is that going into like the Anunnaki origin story, mm. that they created people so that they could have a slave race. But the idea was that they mixed their DNA with animals that were already here trying to create this species. So that being said, we're looking at cryptids like they're human-like, like the ones that stand up on two legs, like, you know, your Sasquatch, your Dogman, all that kind of stuff. What if that's not actually the human characteristic, but it's the Anunnaki characteristic, and all of these different cryptids could have been either one, different things they tried out that didn't end up working, or two, different types of beings that they made to do different jobs. Um, and then the other way it could kind of twist is that, like, what if humans, going into, like, some old Hindu beliefs, actually came from pigs, and so, like, we aren't ape to begin with, so then that would explain, like, Sasquatch being as it is and that it evolved differently is because we were never on the same line to begin with. We theoretically could have came from pigs and they could have theoretically came from apes and then dog man came from like a wolf or a dog or whatever. Um, and then the different like winged beings could have been created from owls, whatever, mixing the Anunnaki DNA. But just, just a theory, like what, what, what do you think about it? Do you think that it's possible going into like everything is possible. Everything is possible. Uh, I really wish Jay was here because this is way up his alley. You know what I mean? Because he would he would love this. Next time we have you on, he'll definitely be on this for this. He had to work tonight, everybody, so that's the only reason Jay's not here. But, yeah, everything... Everything is possible. I don't know how much stock I put into the Anunnaki, or I can never say it right. I I don't know how much stock I personally put into the whole thing, but... I can see, so Sasquatch gets put in that, you know, we have all these, like you're saying, weird cryptids. I can definitely see being genetic experiments, whether that's an alien group, an interdimensional group, or just, you know, old ancient humans screwing around with stuff that we didn't understand, producing your dog man, producing your, well, maybe that we didn't fully understand. We talked about it earlier. Magic is just science you don't understand the, the formula for. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not the best one for this kind of stuff. 
Because it's well, I mean, they had like depictions drawn out of like DNA strains, just different things that they would have had no way of knowing about. So yeah, I've one, seen those; those are crazy. Some type of yeah, there's either some type of Anunnaki connection, which I'm a firm believer in the idea that like Anunnaki, as what people perceive them being, like an alien, like they t- share a lot of characteristics with like angels. So like these beings, Anunnaki, angels, just different types of creators, could all be different cultures names for the same thing so i mean even going off of that um i don't know it's it it may be it may be like a more biblical thing like maybe there was different you know like if god created us like there could have been trials before us before he got to the right type of like being and those could be just like remnants that didn't get taken out by the great flood if you're going into like the biblical aspect of it or if you're going into, like I said, the ancient aliens concept, um, like whether or not it was the Anunnaki or some type of like creator race, they could have mixed their DNA with animals that existed here. And that's what created all the different variations of things. And even going into like reptilians, um, if you believe in that is more so like a hollow earth thing rather than like extraterrestrial thing, they could have been, again, something that was created for a specific purpose. Cause it's like, I was talking to you about it before the show if you wanted something to work on small, intricate things, you'd want something that's like human-like. If you want something that has brute force to like tear up stuff, move heavy things, you want something like a Sasquatch. You want something that's able to like go underground, be content in caves, mine things out of caves, whatever. You create something like the reptilians. You know, if you wanted something that um, was able to carry things far distances with ease, then you'd make like winged flying, like humanoid type things. And maybe as like time progressed like these different variations of things started to die out just because of, you know, the strongest survive kind of a concept. Um, or it was even the concept of maybe if there was a creator race, they used us for what they needed us for left us. And then it was just kind of like all these different races battling it out for what's going to live here. And humans won that one, <laughs> but there's still a remnant of everything left else of these other things that were created. Yes. See, I, I can get behind that. That's definitely something Jay's going to love this episode when he listens to it because he kind of has a similar thing, not all, not fully, but he definitely has an idea that's kind of similar with ancient, that this world is built upon the corpse of a previous world or a previous civilization and that we're just what's left. Uh, and I, could def- I mean, that could even have been Mars and then we like restarted here and maybe there was some type of external help that like or maybe it was us to begin with and we made it to this planet and it was a matter of like you know we had to survive in a primitive place so we forgot about the technology and then as generations went on then we had to like restart from there you know like we could have hopped to the next planet over as it was fitted for life you know isn't that uh john carter oh maybe (laughs) i I, I know that movie but i haven't actually watched it yeah i think that's what they were doing because basically they started on a moon on Jupiter, and then they hopped to Mars. So once the moon on Jupiter wasn't habitable, they hopped to Mars, and then they start hopping to Earth and eating up each planet. Because if you moved to a, a new planet, you wouldn't be continuing your technology as you had it because you'd have to restart from the beginning again. Mm-hmm. And then if you're restarting from the beginning again, generations later, everything gets forgotten. Right. So it's like we could have theoretically started off on the last planet out, Pluto, and then hopped in as... Oh, we don't got many planets know, left. Yeah, yeah, we're we're on the last couple, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
we're we're Who knows get, where we might end up. But. We're getting towards the end of that list. No, I could definitely. So especially with some of our weirder cryptids, because we have. So I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as extraterrestrials, as in aliens from our our galaxy visiting this planet. I do think there's life out there. I think everything's just too far apart for anything to make any meaningful connection. I think what we are considering, personally, what we're considering extraterrestrials are actually interdimensional things. Things that are more have that doorway to step through. And I think they may have visited in the past. And I definitely see them, whoever they are, whatever name you want to put on them, mucking about with genetics, creating these things. So this, oh gosh, I don't want to spoil it. We have an episode coming out about the black-eyed kids. I think it may be already out by the time this comes out, but I'm not sure. I'm looking it up because I'm trying to do time travel in my head uh, with how the you know podcaster life. Everybody at home, these episodes are record pre-recorded sometimes months in advance, so it's like trying to remember what's coming out before what. But so that seems like the black-eyed kids may be the not from here men in blacks genetic round twos that they are fitting them to making them to fit earth better. Cause if you uh, look in like the 1940s and fifties men in black, they had to learn how to deal with us. Like there's all the stories of like them getting intrigued by pencils in like, and when people are watching them, they don't know how to use a door. Cause like when nobody's watching, them, they probably just phase through it. But when everybody's looking, I'm like, okay, how do I do this? You know, it, it's just all this weird stuff. Uh, so I can definitely see something not from here. That's our ter- that's the term we kind of use for it because we d- we disagree on where they may be from. So we just kind of say they're not from here. I don't know where they're from, but they're just not from here. I definitely see them making these genetic monstrosities f- to fit their own purposes. Uh, like you're saying, the Sasquatch to be these heavy lifters, the us to be whatever, the Dogman to be stuff. I don't know. I like it. Just an idea. I mean, it's just, I don't know, like, um, like it would make sense though. Cause it's like for people at least like we would be the one that's mentally advanced the most because we were the ones that they, if you're going off the Anunnaki stuff, like left to be like the rulers and stuff. So of course they would try to make us like the intelligent, like pro model, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where all the other ones, it would explain why they're so primitive is because they never, had the purpose to advance them into something more, which would explain why like people continuously progress through the years, get smarter, get better because we've been adapted to do that where it seems like Sasquatch, Dogman, all these different cryptids, they're kind of like stuck in the same place where they're not really like evolving past like the old stories of them to now where like humans have clearly changed in that time where it's like maybe evolution as we know it, may not exist as we know it. It may be that like we are the model that was intended to keep advancing past when they left us. You know what I mean? Like we're, we may be the only ones that have that ability um, or just, just from like the genetically created things, because I'm not saying it's the same for like the other animals that they were taking to create these things. But if these things are an experiment that would explain why these cryptids in particular don't, evolve in advance hmm. is because they were never like a natural thing to begin they with. Supposed they were like to. a created thing. Yeah. Exactly. Where we were because they wanted us to progress and keep everything rolling when they left. So that if they ever come back, they still like have their 
their thing to use. You know what I mean? Hmm. We're pig people. There you go. We're all from Florida. Yep. Look it up. <laughs> Look into the old Hindu stuff, too, about people coming from pigs. It's yeah. pretty interesting, honestly. And another weird thing we were talking about before the show, when you're learning how to do things with skin medically, tattooing, whatever, what do you use? You use pig skin because mm-hmm. it's the closest to human skin. Anatomically, they're very similar, too. Their organs are all in the same spot. But I think if the Anunnaki did do that, we'd look like the things from Florida. But I mean, that just could picking. also be like, like a like a version one. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there could could have been like a Basic version versus one, deluxe. which would explain the like pig cryptids, but where that's the version that doesn't evolve, but we're the version that evolves and change. We're the version that evolves and changes. Hmm. Jay's gonna love this episode because he's all for this stuff. That it's just my brain doesn't work that way, so I just always have trouble with it. But Jay's wonderful mind would eat this up, and he will have such a long thing for you the next time you're on. I'm excited for it, honestly. I mean, everybody's brain works different, though. That's mm-hmm. what brings the fun to it. Because yeah. if you and I thought the same, then we'd be coming up with the same concepts. Together. Right. You know, There's no like, fun you in that. want to think completely differently. Exactly. So do you have anything else for the Anunnaki? Um, that's where I'm at for now, but I'm sure by the next time I talk about it, because oh, it's yeah. one of those things that every time I talk about it, it kind of just you develop more. advances more. Yep. So when I come back with it and I get to talk to him about it, I'm sure that'll advance farther past what I already had. <laughs> so I think we're going to end it on giant salamanders. Bum, bum, bum. A reoccurring topic on this, on our side of uh, the bum, podcasting bum. world. Uh, you know, we have the Trinity's Alps giant salamander. And surprisingly, we have the European giant salamander, which anybody that's listening to that episode, that's a cryptid made by science. So it's kind of a cool story where science, or a group of herpetologists was like, well, over this latitude, everywhere else on the planet has giant salamanders. Why doesn't Europe have a giant salamander? That doesn't make sense. So they went looking for it and found not fossils, but physical, skeletal remains of a juvenile and a larva. So the larva was like six inches long and the juvenile was like four feet long. So they think the adults of that species of European giant salamander would be the six to seven foot range. Just like we think Chinese giant salamanders can get our biggest one right now is six foot long, but we think they could probably get seven foot long. So it's a, it's a salamander the size of a small alligator. Uh, and so they're like, well, why doesn't anybody ever, like there's no ancient reporting to these. So they start looking at cryptids for possible evidence. And one was the uh, the trensil worm of Scandinavia was probably the European giant salamander. This giant serpentine-like creature with the, the, the head of an earless cat is the best way they could describe it. And they, you Sounds know, like a salamander. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was big, and it, was, it would bite, but it never did anything. It would just kind of come out. It lived in the water and would come out and get out and then go back in. Uh, and the giant jack, the, all the giant salamanders will do that. They'll get out of the water if they have to, but they can't. They don't have lungs, so they can't breathe breathe like us. So they don't want to be out of the water very long. They can be out of the water. They just don't want to do it. They breathe mostly through their skin. That's why they have all the flappy flaps on the side. It's for osmosis. So then there's a whole working theory then that goes into Loch Ness monster being a giant salamander. And I think it is. 
So if anybody at home don't know, we're going to do a Loch Ness Monster episode eventually, I promise, because people keep asking for it. Nessie never had a long neck. Never. No story until 1954 when that stupid movie came out ever said Nessie had a long neck. It was always this, unless she was seen on land, this giant creature that looked like an overturned boat with a tail swimming behind it. It's all for 2,000 years. That's every sighting. It was never that big, you know, the plesiosaur with the long neck poking out. And now we know plesiosaurs couldn't lift their head out of the water. They're, they're, the way their neck vertebra locked, they couldn't physically pick their head up like that. That's just not how they were designed. So, and there was one report, I'm trying to remember it, where the guy came across a 20-foot salamander on the bank of Loch Ness and thought it was dead and it was just sleeping. And then it ran back in the lock. So, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, going to the whole head thing out of the water, the first thing that came to mind for me was if it normally would kind of just like float across the top, what if the one time it kind of like lifted up its tail to sink itself down, that's when somebody saw it and they thought it assumed it was a neck, but it may have just been its tail as it was dipping itself back down into the water. I, I can see that. I just, I guess what I was getting at with that is that almost every sighting was always reported as that classic giant overturned boat where you can see an animal like almost like a whale, you know, how whales look. And then that documentary came out, and half the sightings then were the neck. I mean, that's a matter, too, of like we're talking about with like the rake, where it's like one person makes that mm-hmm. idea, and then everybody else builds off of it. Even with like with the Wendigo, somebody adds antlers, now everybody sees antlers on and it. I think and that's what it is. It could be partly one that people are one making up a story because they want to be part of the big story where I feel like the most, like the stuff you should look into would be the stuff where they see Nessie like laying flat, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where anything else past that with like the thing sticking up and people seeing it, especially if they say that they like see it like moving forward with it up. I feel like that would be false where the only ones that may make sense are ones where they talking about how it'll pop up and then dip right back down in the water. Cause then that could go into that. I can see the tail. I definitely can see the tail confused concept but Mm -hmm. yeah it's a matter of two of just like um even going into the whole idea of like it manifest like there could have been the original salamander that was there that's where everything came from and then maybe that died off and then past that it became one of those things where it's like what's the word for it tulpa um tulpa yeah where people had so much like because this was a worldwide thing think about how much thought and manifesting was put into the Loch Ness Monster, where maybe it, there was the original thing, and then there was something that was like created. They're manifesting by it. people manifesting yeah. it to exist past that. Because even if you're going into the giant salamander thing, um, assumably if they blocked off that area, um, they could have died out in that area because they couldn't get to where they they breed or whatever. And then again, that's where the story started up is when they actually died off because they weren't able to get to where they needed to go to in order to make more babies, you know? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think if Nessie's a giant salamander, she's still there. They're just hard to find. So they're, they're almost always on the bottom. They don't have to come up for air. Unlike, so they're an animal. Uh, they don't have gills, but they don't breathe through their lungs. Ha- most of them don't have lungs. They breathe through their skin, so they don't have to come up. They are super long-lived animals, they're super low food animals. That's the big thing that people always put forward with Loch Ness is that it doesn't have the fish population 
to support a group of large animals. And it doesn't. If it, they were, if they had a normal metabolism, let's say they were mammals or reptiles, they wouldn't have the normal metabolism. Uh, they they couldn't. Salamanders. Uh, when I go on vacation, so I, everybody at home you knows I have a room of salamanders. I could leave for two months, and everybody's gonna be fine. Uh, just because they're not gonna really lose any weight either. They just when they stop getting food, they just stop using food. They kind of go into a, a catatonic state. So that would be a really good group of animals to have in a deep water lake with not a lot of with the seasonal food abundance because there's a there's several fish species that spawn like crazy through the lock system where they come up and they spawn above the lock. So there's all kinds of food for very short limited amounts of time. So if you're a species you take advantage of those times of plenty. And then when there's times of few you just sit at the bottom of the lake and don't do nothing. And the thing lock so Loch Ness has had so much sonar done. But if they're laying along the bottom, they don't show up. When we used That's to do, what I was about to say. When we used to do sturgeon surveys, uh, where I would literally look for sturgeon on a sonar, and we'd just look for a hump of mud. And like, oh, that's a sturgeon. Oh, that's a sturgeon. Because they don't leave the bottom. They just look like a big chunk of the bottom that's just a little higher. Because it's just the, the sonar can't tell the difference between a hunk of mud and a 20-foot-long salamander that's walking along the bottom. You only really get to see them. And there's a couple of good sonar pictures of these 20 to 25-foot animals that are caught like mid-turn, like while they're swimming and stuff like that. I mean, even if there's like little caves or whatever down Tons. at the bottom, they could easily just be hiding in those caves too when they're not active. And I mean, even so, even if you theoretically send somebody to the bottom to walk across the whole bottom of Lake Loch Ness and try to find something, like the way that they work like you're moving large amounts of water and normally you're in an area where there's only fish. So if there's an animal that knows that there's a possible predator, like how easy would it be for something that's completely black on the bottom of the water to just move to a new location as you're scouting the bottom of the water. So you could be walking over here. It moves over here. <clears throat> you make it over there. It moves over here. Like it's very, it could very easily evade you with that space and its color where it is the bottom of the water. I'll do you one better because that is correct. Uh, they would have so much better maneuverability. Uh, the lock is almost the deepest point, 30 foot from the bank. It almost completely straight drops. And it gets like six, 700 feet deep. It's not, you know, it's it's undiveable. You can't do this. You can't dive to the bottom of Lake Loch, Lake Loch Ness because you'll, you just can't. You, humans physically can't dive that deep. And it has some of the worst visibility of any freshwater lake in the world. It has, so I used to use a thing called a Secchi disc, disc, and it's how you measure visibility, and it has like less than three inches. So if you were down there diving, you could only see three inches from your face. I don't care how big the animal is. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't care if it's a blue whale. If it's not three inches in front of your face, you don't know. It's not there. It's just not, you know, it, it might it might as well be a mosquito. You're not going to find it. Dude, there could be literally hundreds of these things at the bottom of Lake Loch Ness that just chill at the bottom of Lake Loch Ness all the time, and nobody would have any idea because there's just the one straggler that comes up to the top every once in a great while, and that's where it sparks all the excitement. But, yeah, there could, there could just be a bunch of them. Just, and we just think that they're rocks and whatever, you mm-hmm. know? Like, if they're just laying and not doing anything like salamanders tend to do, like... Good yeah. luck, you know? Even if there's like 40 of them, it's like you wouldn't really know. <laughs> so what do you think about the old stories where in the winter 
that was the roughest time because the Loch Ness monster would come out and grab sheep and drag them back in the water. Well, if it was twenty foot long yeah. from what we were guessing from there, and they knew that it was about to be winter and they were going to go, they're just going to you know like freeze out for the time being. Like, why wouldn't they? feed up if they knew something like that was coming Mm -hmm. just like any animal it's like hibernating like you're going to prepare you're going to eat big meals you're going to fatten yourself up if you know that there's going to be an extended time where you're not going to be eating so you know rather than trying to collect all the little small fish here and there like they're going to go for the big ticket prize in order to be able to withstand themselves for that time so like it would make sense Mm -hmm. off of just the size of the animal to go for the big game you know to be able to sustain themselves yeah so they used to so there's a cool thing with Loch Ness they used to sacrifice sheep to her in the winter. Uh, they would take a sheep. So Loch Ness Monster, pretty much, it was almost, for a long time, it was pretty much a guarantee. Every So their winter is not like our winter. It's it's rainy and cold, don't get me wrong. It's still nasty, but they don't really get snow because uh, of the, the Gulf Stream and the ocean. Uh, it keeps the whole area kind of really warm. So it's still, you know, it's still nasty, rainy. So all the snow they would get pretty much turns into this cold rain. But every time it was going to rain, like in the super winter storms, they knew she was coming out, and they knew she was eating. So the farmers would go out, and they'd pick whatever sheep they had that was sick, whatever sheep they had was injured, and they'd take it down right to the edge of the water, nail it to a stake with a rope, and just leave it there for the night, and it was never there when they came back. Because that way, they at least got to pick what sheep got eaten. They were picking the weak ones. They were picking the ones that weren't going to make it much longer. Otherwise, she was going to come up the hill, and she was just going to take what she wanted. Well, I mean, what came first? Like, did maybe a farmer do this so the salamander, if it is a salamander, developed a taste for sheep so it knew that that was something it could eat so it went after sheep? Or was it a matter of it was eating sheep so they gave it sheep? What do you think? I have a feeling that somebody was giving it sheep and it developed a taste for sheep. Was it Betty White? (laughs) Betty White? Lake Placid. She was the one feeding the crocodile. That, that's what I assumed. I thought you were talking about the Betty White. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. No, it, it's the Betty White. Yeah, it was probably was Betty White. She, it's probably based on true story. <laughs> she's old enough. She she was old. Was enough. old enough. Yeah, she was the first one to feed God the rest sheep your, to. <laughs> God rest monster. your soul, Betty White. I miss you. you. I loved you. She was she was a big reptile activist. Dude, Did you know that? I kind of had a feeling off of. Just she owned like, like eleven snakes and stuff. So. She was definitely an out-there lady, so I definitely could see that with her. Like, it was one of those things where when she did pass away, it was like you almost didn't believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I fall on the line that it was eating sheep first, that it was just taking advantage of easy food in the winter. And they're like, well, if it's going to keep doing this, we can't do a lot about it because it's literally a dragon. So just give it a sheep. Like, am I, I'm not going to go out in the middle of the worst winter storms and stand and watch all the sheep. I'll just give it the sick sheep, and I'll be done with it. Tie so one of the kids up down there. They, it was getting sheep, and then they started giving it sheep. Yeah, they, that way they. I think they, that way they could take some power back and pick which sheep were getting eaten. You know, instead of your good breeders and stuff like that, your good wool producers, pick the ones that aren't doing very well, or the older animals, or you know. And you don't want it near your house. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I still kind of feel like it. Uh, like people were giving it sheep because otherwise, like. I feel like it would have went other after other animals that were around that size, like goats, um, so they, even ducks, chickens, things like that. Like I feel like if it, it was specifically wanted sheep, 
that it was something that wasn't normally in its food group, but it became something that it enjoyed because somebody gave it to it. Otherwise, I feel like it wouldn't have crossed its mind to use that as a food source. In the highlands, there's not much other livestock. It's pretty exclusively sheep. Uh, so it's oh, okay. That it's, makes a little bit more sense. It's more of just the only thing that's not. It's pretty much the only farm animal that's on the banks. There's not really at this, especially in the the, the earlier days. There's no cattle. There's maybe each family has a couple chickens. There's no goats. It's pretty much sheep. Uh, that's their that's their cattle. That's their everything. I think they'd even milk sheep at that point. Well, I guess with that information, then I would assume that yeah, it probably developed a taste because of it just being the closest thing to the water, and then yeah, people started giving it to it. And sheep are yeah, dumb. Yeah, I agree with you now. Pe- knowing that sheep are dumb, <laughs> they will literally walk. They they they'll get so heavy from being like wet, they'll walk down to the water and drown. So I could see them. That's the other thing too. What if it was just really easy prey because yeah. of the environment? That they're just wet to begin with, so they didn't really go anywhere. They so don't they're move. Like, oh, big easy prey, boom. Yeah, I I don't think it was very hard for the salamander to catch the sheep. I don't I don't think that was the issue. I think it came out of the water and like I'm hungry. Oh, there's a whole herd of cotton balls over there. Uh, they don't really run very fast. Good because I don't really run very fast. I think you could I think you could casually outwalk the Loch Ness monster when she comes on land. I don't think it was a. I don't think it's a speedster. Yeah, because any other animal would have been easy. Like, even if they had goats, chickens, like, they can move pretty speedy and quick. So, like, if it is a salamander, like, I don't think it would have been able to catch a goat or a chicken. It had a lot of difficulty. Hmm? Anything else for the giant salamander? I think think we're at a good stopping point with that one. Until you do a little bit more research and I can give you a little bit more input. Or I do some more research and I can give you some of my input. Either way is going to be great. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. If you're good, we've only been going for two hours. Yeah, I can easily go for another two, but we'll save that for next time. <laughs> so Shane, thank you again for coming on. Will you please tell everybody everything to find you on? Cause I don't do a good job with it. Well, thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. And I was really looking forward to the show, so I'm glad we got to do it. But if you want to come find me, I'm going to mix it up a little bit this time, just because of the audience for this show. And I'm trying to, kind of make my shows equal with each other where I don't have like a like a this is my show they're both equally my, my show that I do so I'll start with Bizarre Encounters um, if you want to come check that out I do it with my co-host uh, Ghost from My Third Eye Podcast um, I make everything quick and easy all under one link tree link uh, I have the merch store feeds anything like that if you want to come check it out L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Bizarre Encounters And if you'd like to check out my solo show, which is basically interviews and open conversations with a single guest, uh, ranging from ghosts, um, alien encounters, spirituality, any alternative weird topic, um, Inquiries of Our Reality is the name of that show. Um, I put it all under one link tree, just like the other one, merch store, feeds, all that fun stuff. L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash Inquiries of Our Reality podcast. And then I also do a little sideshow on that one called uh, Big Dumb Inquiries, which is just kind of this fun show that uh, Kyle Rainey and I do from um, the Big Dumb Podcast, where it's basically we'll bring like three little clip questions and discuss them and just get into a whole fun thing about that. So if you want to come check that show out too, that's also on the Inquiries of Our Reality feed. And then I also do a little like uh, help community slash get together hangout place. 
Um, if you want to come check that fun stuff out, we do featured creators every week so that people can kind of find some new podcasts to listen to. It's called Open Minds Media. Um, L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash open underscore minds underscore media. But that's that's it for me. <laughs> Got four things, and I always feel like I'm saying too much when I do that. No, it's end. just I don't know how you keep it straight. <laughs> it's you podcast so much. It's it's crazy to me. I don't know how you keep it all straight. I mean, it's one of those things that it's like, it's not work if you enjoy what you do. I so get it. But it gives it's, me something to do. I mean, it's it's only 1 a.m. and you're going to work in the morning. <laughs> you know what the sad part is, is I'm usually, the weekends are when I hardcore pass out and I'll sleep for like 12 hours straight. But during the week, I'm very minimal on sleep. Like, I can tell. I'll put my kids to bed at nine. I'll do a podcast and then I'll edit and do my research until about two or three o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep, wake up around six, six thirty. Get about three and a half hours of sleep. Weirdly enough, like I'm pretty content and awake with that. And then when on the weekends, when I do my catch up sleep and it's like eight to 12 hours, I'm tired the whole day and I fall asleep early. So it's like, I'm one of those people that functions better. Weirdly enough, I'm like less sleep. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, once again, thank you, Shane, for coming on. We appreciate it. I had fun with you. We'll have you on again soon. And we have a tradition. When we sign off, we're just going to keep, when I start saying bye, just keep saying bye until the recording's over. You ready? Oh, we're doing it Beverly Hillbilly style, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three, two, one. You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical.